The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. So glad to have a special guest with us today on the Welsh Wire. We welcome Gary Kushner, the president and CEO of Kushner and Company in Portage, Michigan. Gary, welcome to the Welsh Wire. Oh, it's my pleasure, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to have you here today. We're going to talk about employee benefits today. Okay. Um, some new things on the horizon, which Gary happens to be a bit of an expert, if you will, when it comes to employee benefits. Gary, tell us about your area of expertise, because you've been doing this for a while and you know your stuff. Well, thank you. Um, I have been doing it for a while, which just means um, I'm older, apparently. Um, <laughs> wiser and wiser. <laughs> and wiser, hopefully. Much wiser. I uh, founded the company 37 years ago as an HR strategy, benefit consulting, and administration firm, having come out of uh, being an HR generalist who was spending more and more of his time in comp and benefits. My, right. I, I was doing a lot of work in that area. And so I've been very fortunate and had the opportunity to grow. I thought I would be just a small regional player, maybe someday. And uh, today, Kushner and Company serves clients in, I believe, we're now in 43 states, six countries. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And and through those years, you have really been, you, you developed your business and your area of expertise as really a go-to to provide good information and direction and strategy for companies that are really attempting to dial in their benefits, their comp and benefits, and how to get it right for employees, not only to attract them, but to retain them, right? Absolutely. The whole reason that employers, and in particular, smaller to mid-sized employers, offer the types of total rewards, comp, benefit, work-life balance that they do is they're competing for talent every day you bet. With, with much larger firms, with much deeper pockets. Yep. And so in order to find the right people doing the right things at the right time, a small to mid-sized business owner really needs to pay attention to how they structure and compete for that talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're a larger company, you may have the luxury of having your HR team pick that up and really run with it. But still, the changes and the additions to what's available to you or no longer available to you as a benefit strategy or option change all the time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in you know, if I in that small to mid-sized market, I typically don't have a large HR team. Right. If I'm if I'm that small business owner, I or maybe my CFO is my is my entire HR department. And even if I have an HR professional, they very often in that small a firm tend to be more on the operational, tactical, compliance end of things, not the strategy end. So true, because they don't have time to do all of it. The strategy seems to be one of those things in smaller companies that 
often gets pushed to the side. Right? Absolutely. You end up being reactionary. And But this is the time of year, however, mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, we're talking right now, um, when benefits are top on everyone's mind because most companies, a very large majority of companies are renewing Correct. their health insurance right now. And they have a tendency to look at everything that they're offering as a result of that. So you're here today to share with us about some recent changes in benefit options and offerings for employers that could be interesting to consider Absolutely. in 2020. So tell us tell us about that. So after the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, sometimes called Obamacare, was passed in 2010, a number of provisions in health benefit plans changed pretty significantly. Right. And a practice that was not all that uncommon in small employers. Uh, Some would call them micro-employers, maybe 10, 15, 20 employees, was the idea pre-ACA of um, we're not not able to afford a full health benefit plan for you, but we'll give you so many dollars a month if you go out and buy health coverage. Right. And we can do it on a very tax-favored basis. All of that was before the ACA. In 2013, the IRS issued a series of regulations that said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. You can't do that anymore. And I would take argument, uh, take issue with the IRS. It probably wouldn't be the first time that that was never in the law. That was just their way of trying to force employers, perhaps, to try to offer coverage. Right. Well, right, what, which is difficult for many small companies. It's amazing to me how many companies struggle oh, with being able to provide right. that as a benefit. So, I mean, it's an issue. Well, with the cost of health care in the U.S., and particularly in the U.S., rising at two at the time, two to three times the rate of general CPI inflation, right. it was a major issue for yep. small employers. The So many of those programs like that ceased because there were very significant penalties if you continued to do that. Well, earlier this year in 2019, the IRS rethought all of this and came out with two new types of allowable programs that any employer, small or large, could offer, but this will be very attractive to some small employers. They're called Individual Coverage Health Reimbursement Arrangements, or ICHRAs, and what they do is reinstate that practice of the pre-ACA where if I don't offer my employees health coverage or I don't offer a class of my employees health coverage, I can go back, put money into an ICHRA for them at the amount of my choosing, and enable employees to go out to the exchange or to the individual marketplace, buy coverage, and get reimbursement. Oh, that's great. It's It's a huge game changer for a lot of small business. Well, unfortunately, the national data shows that once you get to about 50 to 100 employees, the likelihood of that employer offering health coverage is is roughly 65 to 75%. Sure. The smaller you go, it begins to decrease pretty rapidly. And below 10, 
only about 35 to 40 percent of employers in the U.S. offer health coverage. So here is now a whole new approach that those employers could consider where they may not be able to afford to fully sponsor a group health plan. That's fantastic. Absolutely. It, it really is a game changer. For larger employers, 50 and above, mm-hmm. the new ICHRAs can be used as a way to attract and retain classes of employees where even if I offer health coverage, I, may, I don't offer it to that specific class. So, for example, part-time employees or seasonal wondering. employees. We do, have done work with a ski resort that oh. hires lots of people you know, during the winter season. Sure. And uh, in Michigan, uh, maybe not so much in California or Arizona or Florida, our ski season's pretty long. <laughs> and so... <laughs> or or the ski resorts hope that it will be pretty long absolutely. for most winters. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. But this is a way they could offer some health benefit to those seasonal employees where the year-round employees, a much smaller group, um, are offered the group health plan. Right, because they automatically qualify. Yeah. Correct, because yeah. they're full-time uh, employees throughout the whole year. But the seasonal employee may not be considered for ACA purposes as full-time. There's right. a class. I can do it for hourly versus salary. If I provide health benefits to my salaried staff but not my hourly staff, I can utilize the ICHRAs. So there's lots of unique opportunities depending upon that employer's you know, workforce demographics and their makeup and do they have, do they even offer health coverage? Right. And if not, it's fully available. If they offer health coverage, one of the rules is that they're not allowed to offer the choice of eligibility in the group health plan and the ICHRA. Okay. But if the whole class of employees is ineligible for that group health plan, then the employer could institute it and now provide a way to attract, retain, and I'll even add engage employees. Yes. Because very often um, HR strategies are and should be linked to how that employer attracts, retains, and engages. So true. So true. That is really, really important. So from an employer's standpoint, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I, I would love to get in on this, but there, there's probably some compliance issues. There's, there's a cost to setting it up. There's a cost to probably at your end doing some filing. I mean, Gary, how do you, how do you get started on this? What do you need to do? Well, you to call get us. No. <laughs> Um, you would check, you could start with your CPA, your attorney. If if you don't have um, a group health plan, you probably don't have a broker or agent, but you could check with any of them. Uh, and as long as you at least get them started on ICHRAs, the individual coverage HRAs, they can take it from there. You do. There are there are rules, like in all benefit plans, you have to have a plan document. You have to have summary plan descriptions. Uh, you have to be able to uh, provide a notice uh, in advance each year to participants that this option is available to them. Okay. You have to give them the ability to opt out because okay. in a larger employer. 
uh, if that employee went to the exchange, for example, mm-hmm. and would have qualified based on their household income for a premium tax credit to buy coverage there, offering the ICHRA to them would disqualify them okay. from the tax credit. So you have to give them the ability to opt out of the ICHRA, which makes perfect sense. Oh, it absolutely does, but these are things to consider. Correct. So in order to do the setup and give notice and be fully compliant, I mean, how how many weeks, months do you think it would take for an average business to get this going? Um, When we've set these up for our clients, we can typically do it in two to three weeks. Oh, uh, Fabulous. So if, you, if if our listeners are listening to this right now in real time in December, mm-hmm. it is possible that they could still have this up and running for 2020 if this is something they chose to do. They absolutely could. Great. There is a requirement to give a 90-day notice. So if they're listening in December, they may not be able to start this January 1, but they certainly could in March or April. By Q2, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Great. That is wonderful. So tell us to um, a little bit about changes with 401ks, because that's another area that is, it's a key benefit, but again, it's typically one that only larger employers are offering rather than small companies because of the cost yep. of setting it up and maintaining it. But you've got some things to tell us about 401ks that might change minds. Well, I, I would certainly hope so, because just like we were talking about with health benefits, turns out millennials in particular, they're they're the first generation at their age to want to begin to plan for retirement. Well, look at that. We always complain about them and say that they're, you know, they're they're just not how we want them to be. They're just different than than other generations. This is a good difference. This is a this great is a really difference. good difference. <laughs> this is a great difference. There's a number of um, HR related items where millennials are actually probably better dialed in than their parents and grandparents ever were. Go millennials. Uh, absolutely. That is great. So so they like the 401k. They are ready to invest. And they're saying to their employers, uh, what do you have for my retirement? Absolutely. And so we're, we're now getting calls from uh, companies, for-profit, not-for-profit, that are saying we, we've never set up a 401k, smaller firms sure. typically. We've never set up a 401k, but our employees are asking for it. And when we ask them which employees, well, it wasn't the 55-year-old. <laughs> it's the 25-year-old right. that, that's so interested in this. That's well, great. There's wonderful news uh, that's partly new, but some that's gone back a few years. We still see a lot of 401ks that require one year of service before the employees are allowed into the plan. Right. A regulation changed a few years back that don't require that anymore. And the reason that people would do that is because there's certain non-discrimination testing Mm -hmm. that needs to be done. And the assumption was that younger, newer employees wouldn't contribute and it would hurt the older, more senior employees and perhaps would hurt the business owner's ability to put money in. Interesting. Well, I'm allowed now to exclude the first-year people from even calculating those non-discrimination tests. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, There is no reason whatsoever that any 401k should not allow an employee immediate 
entry upon date of hire. Wonderful. Uh, That's huge. It's very big. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's just one more arrow in that employer's quiver to enable them to recruit, retain, and engage that that workforce. Right, right. Absolutely. What what a boon really oh. for employers to be able to look at it that way and for millennials to be able, you know, they're just starting out careers to be able to join to immediately and to save for their future. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as as we all know, uh, it's it's not magical, but it's almost magical. Uh the the value of compounding The example I always use when I talk to folks, and you can check this um, in in just a simple spreadsheet. If at age 25, I begin contributing to my retirement plan, my 401k, at whatever amount I put in, and I only do it for 10 years and stop at age 35, build that up until I'm 65. I don't make another contribution. Okay, yeah. And then I have a second person that waits until they're 35 years old, contributes the same amount that that 25-year-old did for every year for the next 30 years until he or she is 65. The person who was 25 put only 10 years worth of contributions in has more money at 65 than the 35-year-old who started and did it for three times as long. It's it's that wonderful value of compound. It's the magic of compound interest. It is. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And obviously millennials get that. They did. They get that. And then they may have looked at what some of the older folks, their parents, well, maybe folks like you and I did or didn't do well, and they have decided they want to do it differently. So kudos to them. They get a bad rap all the time, but they've dialed this in and figured it out. And really, this is a change that's good for everyone. It, it absolutely is. It provides greater financial security for that person as they age. Right. Um, they, they look at parents and grandparents. You know, it, it's funny. We've gone through this trend uh, over the last 30 years or so where retirement ages started to come down. It used to be everybody retired at 65. That's right. And then you saw it becoming uh, lower and lower. We would see people 63, 60, in their late 50s retire. Well, that trend changed in the 1990s. Mm. And then the average retirement age, the median retirement age, began creeping back up. We now expect over the next 10 years it to pass 65 again and be 67, 70, and people working into their 70. We have one employer where they have three employees, not a large employer, under 100. They have three employees, 90 and above. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that something? It is. (laughs) And some are working not just for the money. Right. For the interaction. And 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 it might be part-time. They're not working 50 hours a week. I'm pretty sure of that. Right. Right. But it's changed. And I think what is happening with millennials and maybe even the the Gen Xers, they're looking at that and going, I don't want to work. You know, we're living longer, but right. I don't want to work into my 70s, 80s, 90s. I better do something now so that at least financially I can control whether I work at all or part time or unfortunately what we're beginning to see are late 60s, 70-year-olds uh, working full-time because of the financial Yeah, inability to afford it. Right, right. So let it be a lesson for all of us. Great 
tips and ideas for how to tweak your benefits that you're offering to employees and and really make a difference in in those packages that you're offering going into 2020. Gary, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you and they have questions, they'd like to go a little bit deeper on some of these items and explore that, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, Any number of ways. We have our website at uh, www.kushnerco, K-U-S-H-N-E-R-C-O.com. They can call us at 269 342-1700 or email us at info at kushnerco.com. Wonderful. Our guest today on the Welsh Wire, Gary Kushner, president and CEO of Kushner and Company. So thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks for being with us, Gary. It's been a pleasure, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.